That's how every Saturday night of mine has started for literally decades. When I meet someone and I tell them that I work at uh, WABC, they have no idea what I talk about, what my radio program's about, and no idea who I am. Inevitably, one of the first questions I get is, do you know Cousin Brucie? And for the last two years, it has been my great pleasure to say yes. You know, I've worked in radio for a long time at varying levels as a producer, as a talk show host, on once a week, on early mornings, on every day. And you really, at least in my case, I never really felt like I had made it to big-time radio until I got to welcome Cousin Brucie as a colleague and meet him and talk to him and uh, and kind of chew the fat about the radio business. And to call him a colleague is one of the uh, greatest honors of my life, not just my professional life, but my life. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome legendary radio DJ, probably the most famous radio DJ in history, and the host of Cousin Brucie's Saturday Night Party every Saturday night at 6 p.m. on 77 Music Radio, WAB. The one and only Cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow. Hello, Bruce. Oh, how I hate to get up in the morning. <laughs> oh, what the heck? Frank, how did you do this to me? What time is it? Uh, it don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. It's, don't tell me. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. My eggs are ready. Holy cow. Frank, you amaze me. Let, let me tell you something, Frank, before we continue. I'll be quiet, which is almost an impossibility for me, as you know. Um... You uh, had a lot to do with me relaxing when I first started back coming home to WABC. Because, you know, know, I did Sirius for uh, 13 years and did WABC all those great years and NBC. So it's been a wonderful flight. So when you come home to the place you want to be again, believe it or not, I was a little nervous. I was nervous, right? And you're probably saying, Brucey, nervous? Yeah. But then you walked in. You walked in. Now, we really had not, and I, I knew about your reputation, but we had not met physically. And you welcomed me, WABC. You are warm, you are charming, and you're a delight to be a colleague of. You made me feel very good and welcome. Uh, well, please, I, I feel like I can retire after after that. I mean, uh, you've uh, made my head about as big as can be. Uh, there's so many questions that I want to ask you about music, about the nature of the radio business uh, back when you first started, about the things that you've uh, presided over. But let me begin with uh, a little bit uh, your take on what's happening these days in radio. You know, one of the things that I find uh, that's a, a challenge for me occasionally is that uh, because I don't do the same same kind of show that the rest of the station does. Obviously, the rest of the station does great, and it's mostly wall-to-wall politics. I do, you know, I prefer to talk about a broader array of issues. I'm curious, as much success as you've had at Sirius, at CBS FM, at uh, WNBC, at all sorts of other great formats, was that a challenge for you at all, getting the uh, WABC audience, which is used to hearing hardcore news talk, to accept four hours, initially it was three hours, 
of music programming and talk about music on the weekend. Was that a challenge for you at all? Absolutely. In fact, this was the thing, uh, talking to Chad and uh, Cousin John, which I'll tell you a cute story about John and Margot, how I met them. Uh, this was an original uh, talk about that. I said, how am I going to possibly garner an audience that has uh, people on the air that are just, uh, woo, as I said, kind of rough. So they said to me, look, you come on, your cousin Brucey, you do not have anything to do with politics. You are your own station. We renamed it, uh, obviously, on Saturdays, as you know, Music Radio. I let the audience know every time I'm on the air, Frank, cousin Frank, I, I say to him, look, no politics. I don't, I, I'm not interested in what your leanings are, left, right, middle, upside down, whatever the heck you are. Leave it out. Let it go to the other guys. This is a four-hour time of just absolute relaxation. It's our green park. And the music, I don't care what political persuasion you are, right? I don't care where you come from. There's one thing that's a commonality. There's a, one thing that is a, an absolute... Oh, meeting of the minds it's music and when you get the music of the 50s 60s and 70s together you have it made so it, it was a challenge it was a challenge we've been on the air now it's about two years and it's worked i guess you've seen the numbers oh yeah and, uh, oh yeah right they're pretty good and, and i'm very thrilled because the audience most of the time 99.9 percent .9 of the time will say okay let's leave the stuff outside in the street this is our time to relax. Let's let it go. And I'll tell you something, Frank. You listen. You know they let it go. They're there for a good time. And finally, everybody gets together. Everybody. Which shows you people can have a common meeting ground. It's music. Well, uh, that's terrific. And the sense that I get, and, I, and one of the reasons I think our show in the overnights has been pretty successful, is because I feel like people of all political persuasions, while they may have very strong beliefs about certain things, I feel like everybody needs a little bit of a break. Uh, yes. That they don't want necessarily 24 hours of uh, all, oh, you know, the other the other side is, uh, is, uh, is junk and our side is right about everything. So I feel like they do need uh, a, uh, a little bit of a break, and I think that's one of the reasons you've done so well. Uh, I really am in awe, and I do listen just about every week, and I am in awe of your ability to blend talk and music, to play great songs, to tell great stories about the songs, to have great interactions with the callers, to do great interviews with people which are really informative, and to tell terrific personal stories. Um, has that always been your marquee going back to your time starting at WABC or even before that at WINS, blending talk and music together? Not at all. Frank, when we first started, you know, with uh, with this format, when formats back there at WINS, and go back to ZBM, which I started in Bermuda, which is kind of a fun story, uh, we were playing music, time and weather, chimes, you know, jingles, uh, we, we celebrated the radio station. We didn't celebrate the audience. And that's the difference today. You and I are celebrating this audience. The audience is complex, very complex and very sophisticated. They demand more than somebody getting on and saying, Hi, this is your cousin Brucey from an eye high tower of black shellac, giving you the latest by Chuck Berry. No, they don't want that anymore. Right? They really want to be involved. They want me involved in their lives. So as we developed over the past, I'd say maybe 10 years, 
Cousin Brucey has become a variety show. I'm a variety show. That's what I look at. And you described it perfectly. Music is a prime thing. Uh, information is very important. Interaction with the audience and interaction with my guests. Now, most of my guests are all very dear friends. You know, they grew up with me. I helped them with their careers. They helped me with my careers. So we have a very personal feeling towards each other. So my interviews are kind of personal. I'm on the couch. I, I don't call them, Frank, I guess you know, I don't call them interviews. I call them visits. <laughs> and that's what they are. They're my visits. So to answer your question in a long, long form, no, things have really developed this way. And I am thrilled that I am now a variety guy. I'm not just a jock telling time and weather. You know, one of the things that I've noticed on the, in the in the mu- in music radio, on both satellite radio and terrestrial radio, obviously that's primarily FM uh, terrestrial radio, is that there there the role of the DJ has almost been eradicated. So when I put you on, when say my wife and I are driving around on a Saturday night, or we'll have people over on a Saturday night, and they hear. Uh, conversation uh, to complement the music, it has become such a rare thing because so many radio stations don't do that anymore. And I, I really think uh, I really think a whole new generation is developing a new respect for the role of a DJ. I mean, what do you think? Absolutely. There was a, a whole new idea. You know, I was honored uh, a couple of years ago by Talkers Magazine, so when I got the, uh, the, the invitation to get this award, Talker uh, Magazine Award, uh, I was so thrilled because I really was just doing this thing. It was almost like a, a natural transition from just music and uh, news and uh, station IDs and promos to, as I said, I love the word variety. I, I really enjoy it. So it was almost a natural transition. But, Frank, it happened very slowly. Matter of fact, so slowly, I didn't even realize that it was happening. It just was a wonderful, wonderful transition, and uh, it took many, many years. So I, I didn't know what was happening until I got to WABC, and then one day I realized, wait a minute, this is not the Cousin Brucey show originally heard on WABC. It's now matching this sophisticated audience that is demanding, demanding much more in their programming, and we're giving it to them. Uh, one of the things that I'm constantly amazed at in your abilities as a conversationalist is you have a lot of great interviews with all sorts of folks uh, people like uh, Connie Francis people like uh, Gary Lewis people like uh, Tony Orlando uh, people uh, like uh, Frankie Valley people of all uh, of all ilks all styles of music all, all aspects of life and I always end up learning something new in your conversations with them just the other day, a couple of weeks ago with you and uh, little Anthony for for instance, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, what in your view is the key to being a good interviewer or, as you would say, it, a good conversationalist and always getting something new out of somebody that the audience might have heard give 9,000 interviews and yet you always manage to get something new out of them? What's the secret? Well, I think you know the secret. I'm sure you, I'm, no, you do. I listen to you. You practice it. It's called learning how to listen. Listen, L-I-S-S-E-N, listen. <laughs> listen, I think I left a, uh, a T out. Uh, <laughs> it's learning to listen to your visitor, to your guest, and not just uh, ratchet drawing or, and reading uh, uh, prearranged questions. I mean, how many times have you and I been on shows 
whether it be or be a television or radio shows as a guest, and the person asks you a question, the host asks you a question, and you start answering it, and then you look at the person, and he's not even looking at you. Mm. There's no eye contact. They're looking down at the next damn question, mm. right? So that doesn't work. As I said, the audience is so smart. They, they are so media savvy today, they are me- and they demand, right? They demand good entertainment and information. So I think the answer to that is learning how to listen. Listen hard and properly. I went to New York University, as you did. Uh, I was on uh, WNYU, the radio station there. I did the news. I produced a a talk show there, and I hosted a talk show there. And on the wall of the newsroom at the radio station and on the wall of the studio was your picture. And I had been a listener of yours for literally 15 years at that point, and I had no idea of the role that you played in the founding and the formation of WNYU, the college radio station there. How did that come to be? No, pardon me. I, I, I'm not laughing at the question. I'm laughing at the experience. You want to hear this? This is weird. You want to hear this? I do. All right. This is really quite something. I think you'll laugh, too. Because, uh, well, but it, it ended very happily. I uh, went to Brooklyn College for about six months, and uh, they invited me to leave. I couldn't find the classes, Frank. I couldn't find them. Every, I every time relate. I went Believe to the class, me, it was, I, I just said, they changed it somewhere. So I had to get out of there. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I grew up, I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be a doctor. But I fell in love with radio in high school, thanks to my high school English teacher. She thought I had some sort of talent. So I became part of the uh, uh, New York uh, Board of Education radio group. And it's the house that WNYE FM in uh, Brooklyn Tech High School in New York. And that's where I fell in love with radio. Um, I uh, got, eventually got to NYU. I found myself. And at NYU, I was not very happy going to classes and learning about, you know, all, the, the, all kinds of uh, history and uh, geography and, you know, the typical, uh, the typical uh, semester worth of uh, books and textbooks. I wanted something different out of my college college career. So to me, a, a college education is a, a physical thing, not just reading books or getting somebody's th- theories that are old-fashioned. So I decided that what they needed was a radio station, and I loved, always loved radio. So one day, I got myself up by the bootstraps, and uh, I met uh, this professor, Professor Falk, and uh, uh, Professor Emerson, and they told me to go after it, because there was no radio station in this great New York University. So I trudged across Washington Square Park. It was snowing, I remember. And this is a very important part of the story. It was snowing and slushy. And I got myself up an appointment with the dean of the particular school. I think it was the School of Education I graduated from, believe it or not. And uh, I went into the dean, and he said, yes, Mr. Morrow, can I help you? I said, yes, dean, we need a radio station. He looked up from his papers at me as if uh, a Martian entered the room. He said, what? I said, well, this is a university, you and I, and, and we need to share ideas. And one of the ideas can come from a broadcast station that is run by students for New York University. So I walked into his room, by the way, this is what I was laughing at, and I walked through uh, the park, and my boots were just absolutely mudded, muddied and full of snow. I mean, I walked into this dean's office. 
his beautiful new, uh, he had a, uh, a carpet on the floor, and I destroyed it. All right? I didn't know that. So he was not happy with me. He says, what do you need? I said, I don't know. I want, I want, uh, I need some cable. I need your permission to do this. I want to build a radio station. He gave me $28. You hear what I just said? $28? Now, I don't know. <laughs> but he wanted me out of there. He said, now, do what you have to do. Here's $28. Here's your budget. You know, it wasn't that simple. And he threw me out. He asked me to leave nicely. Was not happy with me. Right? Well, I took that $28 back to the advisors, the professors, and uh, they said, what are you going to do with it? Well, so the first thing I did, I bought some cable. I did some, some AC wire. I bought a Dynavox phonograph. <laughs> a phonograph. We had a couple microphones from English classes there, and we had a room, and they got me a studio. We built a studio. Now, this is what we did. The Dynavox played records. I made a deal with London. Remember London FFRR, Full Frequency Range Recordings? They had great stuff from Montevani on. I mean, nothing, no Chuck Berries, no Everly Brothers, but they had a great catalog. And they gave it to me because I went up there and I said, hey, Brand new station, New York University. As soon as you say New York University, eyebrows go up. Sure. So they gave me their catalog. Hundreds of albums started coming into my little studio. The, the Dynavox record player was held against a microphone. And if I, somebody would say, all right, here's Montevani from London FFR, whatever it was. And everybody had to be quiet in the studio because the microphone was actually the thing that was picking up the live sound of the phonograph. <laughs> and we, we did that. Now, where were we to go? Well, we, could, we didn't, couldn't afford a transmitter. We couldn't broadcast. That takes, you know, legalities and things like that. So I took the wire, took the wire, made a deal. I was always a good deal maker. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. You know, so we, we not, you know Frank, we, not, we, we know how to make deals, you know. So I went down to the, uh, the supervisor of the lounge, which was on, I was on the eighth floor with the studio, and uh, I was on the fourth floor. It was one of the, you know, big lounge, a green room. And I dropped the wire out of the window of the eighth floor down to the fourth floor, snaked it into the fourth floor, and went behind a radio and soldered the radio to the wires. <laughs> that was the birth of WNYU, WNYE. And uh, then I got another lounge and another lounge, and then I started selling commercials. And then I started getting a new staff and uh, putting a whole club together. And it became a real radio station. Great effort by the students. It was wonderful. That's how I spent my college career. And you know something? It was the smartest thing I've ever done. Well, that's terrific. Uh, th that is terrific. Now, you alluded to your time in uh, Bermuda. Now, in the Bermuda days, and uh, there was uh, you had some interesting experiences there. Folks well, may know that uh, they, you you were called not Cousin Brucey, but the Hammer. Uh, there's been such uh, uh, so many myths that have emerged about the genesis of the term Cousin Brucey. Since we have you here, once and for all, can you settle it for us? Where did Cousin Brucey, as a name, as a moniker, as a radio personality, where did that come from? Well, Cousin Frank, you know, we all need shtick. We all need something to lean on, something different. So my name is Bruce Morrow. And uh, I did my shows, Bruce Morrow, on all the stations. And one night, uh, I'm going through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I'm going home to Brooklyn, lived on Ocean Parkway. And in the middle of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, literally I heard a voice. 
and mentally, psychologically, a, a blue light went off, and it said, Cousin Brucey. Cousin, I, I don't know where it came from to this day. I don't know. And uh, I know the mark. If I ever go through the Battery Tunnel, I know where it happened exactly because there's still a rose growing from that area in the, in the, in the <laughs> tile. Uh, Cousin Brucey, I went the next day in, Frank, to the program director, and I said, Sir, uh, I would like to be called Cousin Bruce from now on, Cousin Brucey, because a little old lady came into the studio. I got to preface this remark. Uh, a little old lady came into the studio. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, she said, uh, a guard brought her in, and this is a very important part of the story. And uh, she said to me, do you believe we're all related? This is how exactly how it happened. Exact. And I said, yes, ma'am. I love people. I've always loved people. And I said, excuse me for a moment. And I queued up my record. And we played 45s in those days. Queued it up and started the record. And I said, what can I do for you, ma'am? He said, well, we're all related. Cousin, lend me 50 cents to get home. I'm broke. <laughs> Frank, that's exact. That's honest to God, that's what happened. I gave this lady, this little twinkle-eyed lady with beautiful blue hair and glasses who looked me in the eye. You know, when someone looks you in the eye, Frank, you know, I've learned that a long time ago. You are captured. It's magnet. You know, you want something from somebody, look them right in the eye. Don't look down at the jaw. And uh, she thanked me and said, cousin, thank you. That night, going to Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, cousin came about. I again. love it. And I was, love yeah. it. And then said, so the next morning I go into uh, <laughs> Mr. Leeds and I said, sir, I want to be called Cousin Bruce, Cousin Brucey from that one. So he said to me, quote, are you out of your mind? He added a couple words in the middle, <laughs> which I'm not going to repeat now because I don't do that. All right? Are you out of your mind? Right? Are you, this, is, this is not Morgantown. This is not Cheesequake. Right? <laughs> this is the Big Apple, Sonny. I was a kid. What do I know? And I was scared stiff. I said, but, sir, it, everybody loves their cousins. You go to your aunt and uncle's house. I don't know where I got this energy from. And uh, you love going there because they have the best toys and they feed you and they give you the best, uh, the best uh, treats all the time. So he looked at me and he said, you know what? Maybe you have something there. Tell you what, kid. Try it. But don't overdo it because if you overdo it, I'm going to fire you the next morning. Well, nobody tells a kid from Brooklyn not to overdo it. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's silly. I think, Frank... I must have used the word cousin after every third word. <laughs> and, and that still hasn't changed. No. If people no, just... I love it. But you know, I mean it. it. It really is warm and it's nice. It's fuzzy. And people love it. People love it. It's not just some guy talking through a bunch of wires and uh, digital things. It's a relative. It's somebody want, you want in their house and you feel familiar with them. So I did the cousin the next morning, Frank. I got a call at 6.30 a.m. You're used to time like that. I never saw 6.30 a.m., right? I still don't want to see it. And he said, get your blank in here. Get get in here quick. You're in trouble. I called my father, Frank. I was so scared because I didn't know what it was like, somebody getting mad at me, like, uh, you know, a general manager or a program director. I thought he was going to smack me or something, beat me up. So I called my father, who was very street smart, he goes in with me, and uh, he says to I, I, be, I was very quiet. I was so scared because I didn't know what it was like to be fired or, or dismissed. And my father said, well, what's the problem, sir? He said, your son disobeyed. 
I want to show you something, Mr. Morrow. And he goes, he opens his desk drawer. This is a great story. Opens his desk drawer, and he puts his hands in the desk drawer and comes up with hundreds of these yellow envelopes. Now, you're too young, but we used to have something pre, pre-email called Western Union. <laughs> <laughs> telegrams. You're too young, right? And he takes these hundreds of telegrams and throws them on his desk, and they spill over the desk. And he was really kind of angry, I guess. And he said, just look what he did. He was told not to. So my father very wisely said, well, you know, it seems to me that that's a great response, and that's positive. Why don't you put him under a contract? Wow. So, yeah, uh, my father. And my father wasn't a radio guy. He was just my dear friend, and he was he was my protector and great. Well, <laughs> Leeds looks up at my father, looks over to me, almost glaring, and says, you know what? That's exactly what we decided to do. We're putting him under a seven-year contract. Now, your cousin, Brucey. That's it. Cousin Brucey was born, Frank. I love that it. Was and, it. And clearly, uh, it has uh, it has uh, stuck. It has worked. And uh, I've seen the ratings that you're doing now and the ratings you were doing 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. And the one thing that's uh, pretty consistent is that the audience responds in uh, in droves, whether it's Saturday or any other day. Uh, I have to ask you, and if people just tune in, we're talking with Cousin Brucey. You can hear him every Saturday night on uh, WABC from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern or listen anywhere in the world at WABC Radio. Dot com. Uh, you've been in a number of films, number of television programs over the years because you've been so associated over the last 60 years with what classic radio is, with what classic music is, and what classic New York is. So a lot of times if they try and recapture a moment of, in time, like uh, certainly Dirty Dancing did with the Catskills, you'll be featured as uh, as you know a personality in that. One uh, television program that you did which might be a little against type for what people perceive as the Cousin Brucey brand uh, brand was when you were on Babylon 5. Now, I'm a sci-fi <laughs> guy. I love space. I love science fiction. Love that show, Babylon 5. How in the world did a New York DJ, who at that time was largely specializing in oldies, end up on a show about uh, what was going on in the 23rd century? How did you end up on Babylon 5? Well, you know, Frank, I think you almost answered the question yourself. Being a New York personality and being reasonably successful, the word spreads. You, uh, it's not just your audience, but within the business itself, you become pretty popular and famous and people want to use you for different things because they know that uh, obviously there's some kind of a hidden message there. So one day I get a call from uh, the producers of Babylon 5. Now, I've watched Babylon 5. I always, always enjoy it because I'm a sci-fi guy myself. And they said, we'd like you to play... Commander Nolan, and uh, could you come in? Uh, could you make it to Los Angeles, wherever it was, at a certain time? I said, my friend, let me tell you something. Clear the runways. I have my own rocket <laughs> ship. I'll be there in 22 minutes. <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah, I, look, I've done a lot of television. Uh, the Dirty Dancing thing is a, an annuity for my great, 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 great grandchildren. Wonderful time. But Babylon 5 was the most unusual thing. You know, it was kind of interesting. I love to act. I went to school. I went to draw my parents. My parents were great. Right? They, they took under the chin when I didn't want to become a great doctor, and uh, uh, which I still have that in me. I'd love to do that. So maybe the next time around. And uh, I, I just love the idea of acting. So they dressed me up, made me up. 
I uh, had the you know the the thing on my wrist, the trans the transponder, sure, right. and uh, I had my uniform on. I became a commander, and the, the storyline was that this ship, Babylon, let's see, Babylon, Babylon think, Four, yeah, Babylon Four was the one before that was going to crash, and there were hundreds of people on this thing. People are running around in the and uh, he said, abandon ship, abandon ship, and I'm there doing this thing. And I, you want to listen to this? I got so scared that I became a great actor. I was, I got into it. I thought we were going to crash. I forgot we were doing a show. I really, I don't know if that's method acting or just stupidity on my part. But I got so nervous, right? So scared. And it came out great. In fact, I still get residuals from it. And every once in a while, somebody sends me a copy of that. And I love it. Oh I no, love it. It, that was a, a fun thing. It still holds up. It's still great. And and I hear they're doing a reboot of Babylon Five. So who knows? Maybe they'll have to bring you back as that first <laughs> officer in uh, Babylon Four. Uh, before we run out of time, I I think I, I heard from our program director Matt Meany that you have an upcoming concert in New Jersey that you're hosting. Uh, can you tell us any details about that, or is that uh, still no. on the QT? Oh no, no, no. It's, that's out. It's uh, every year I do a couple. Uh, a couple of shows at PNC Bank Art Center out in Holmdale, New Jersey. Now, this place is an amazing theater. It's sort of semi-outside, uh, 15, 20,000 capacity there. We get huge crowds. Uh, I did it with WABC. I did it, I did it with Sirius. I, I did a lot of shows there. And every year I do at least two shows around this time. And the next show is coming up. I've... Uh, I do Palisades Park revisited. I do, you know, Palisades Park mm. was so much part of everybody's DNA. So every year, because we lost Palisades Park, I do a Palisades Park reunion. And I, I, I sort of book the acts that appeared with me at Palisades Park, which, by the way, is plentiful. Everybody from, from the Supremes to uh, Little Richard were there. They were, everybody was there. And uh, so I book these acts, and we do a reunion. Now, this next one is going to be on September the 9th at PNC Center. Now, here's the kicker, Frank. Ready for this? The tickets are free. Wow. Now, that's what I love. They're free. Even I can afford that. <laughs> They're free because uh, it's sponsored by, let's see, uh, the Garden State Arts Foundation. And they, that's what they do. They, they take part in the arts, and they do free shows. And I put together these shows. This uh, year we have Frankie Avalon, which I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing him again. Love him. We have uh, Jay Siegel's uh, The Tokens, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. We have uh, a great group, Brian uh, uh, Brian McIntosh. I think it's Brian McIntosh. Let me let's see if I have that thing here. Uh, oh, well, that's okay. I have Brian, uh, and Brian is going to, uh, a great group that's going to be uh, doing tribute, tribute to the Drifters. Here it is. Uh, back, yeah, Brian McIntosh Drifters. It's a, a tribute group. Drifters, they do all the Drifter songs, and they're fabulous. And then the other group, well, sort of rounding it out is Norman Fox and the Rob Roy's Tell Me Why. So these are all legit acts that played at Palisades Park with me in those great days, in the days when things were a little more innocent and quiet. And that'll be on the 9th. Tickets are free. And uh, just show up. And that's that's great. It. So people can just show up. They don't have to reserve tickets in advance or no, anything like that. No, they can get tickets. We, uh, they send in uh, a self-addressed stamp envelope. I don't have the door. Uh, uh, well, that's great. Good. Uh, yeah, no, that, otherwise, they can just show up. Uh, uh, that's terrific. Last question I'll ask you, and I have literally 
pages worth of notes of stuff that I'd love to uh, get into with you. And maybe we could do this again in a week or two because uh, maybe we'll I've do had, part two. I've about had part such a good two. time. That would be great. That would be great. But let me ask you this. You have presided and, and as a radio professional, this is one of the many other things that I admire about you. You've been able to do so well in so many different formats. You did you did AM radio and then you made that transition from AM to FM seamlessly. You did you went you did FM radio really well, better than anybody, and then you made the transition from FM radio to satellite radio when it was still sort of in its infant form, and you made that transition seamlessly. Then you made the transition to uh, from satellite radio back to AM radio, doing a music show at a, at a time when most of AM radio was dominated by talk. Have you always had the same approach to radio, or have you changed your style depending on what format, what platform you were on at any given point in your career? All right, so it's a couple answers to that. Coming back and changing formats, you keep your eyes closed, hold your breath, and say, oh, Lord, help me out with this one. (laughs) Number one, please, somebody help me. Uh, You know, there's a common denominator and almost every format we talk about, the one we're doing here, the one I'm doing on WABC, the one I did on Sirius, all of them. And the common denominator is being aware of the audience, knowing your market, caring about that listener. When I go on the radio, Cousin Frank, I never talk at anybody. I talk to them. When people listen to me, they believe I'm talking right to them, and I am. I feel I feel that audience. So that's number one. Number two, the music. The music and the content. Who am I talking to? What do I want to accomplish? So I put all these things together. I get a wonderful salad. I serve it up. And I say, Lord, help me. That's it. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. Uh, Bruce, I know I really pushed my luck getting you to be awake at uh, this, this odd hour. Don't but... tell me. Don't tell me what time it is. <laughs> I'm hoping uh, we can do it again in a week or two. Thank you so much, Cousin Brucey. Thank you, Cousin Frank. Uh, if you want to catch Cousin Brucey, you can uh, do so live Saturday nights on WABC or WABCradio.com. Or you can check out the podcast if you're not around Saturday night or you're doing kind of like I do, which is a digital detox during the day a little bit on Saturday. Spend some time with the family and relaxing a little bit. You can catch the podcast the next day, and uh, it holds up just as well the next day. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'll take your calls in just a moment. You want to comment? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is is the other side of midnight straight ahead.